This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Somebody once said that a man who spends all of his time thinking has nothing to think about but his thoughts. The most profound and enigmatic ideas ever put to paper are found in the Bible. But those ideas and the doctrines that we read on the pages of Scripture, they're not there for their own sake. They're not there for us to just bat around intellectually, um, nor are they simply there for us to think and talk about. You know, there's it's just there's no doctrine in Scripture which does not imply a practice. And there's no concept that should not ultimately affect our beliefs and behavior. That is the transformative power of God's Word. It, it begins with the renewal of the mind, uh, and it, it it's an internal acceptance and understanding, which in turn begins uh, a, a process of change outwardly that we should see in, in our lives and the way we talk and the way we interact with others, what we do and how we see the world and all sorts of things. And so that transformative power of God's word begins with the renewal of the mind. And that can't take place unless we're willing to hear and study scripture. We know scripture teaches in places like Romans ten seventeen that faith is engendered by the word of God and receiving that word uh, verse 17 of Romans chapter 10, Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I think another good pa- uh, passage to add to that point or to substantiate that point, I guess, is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, where Paul says here that that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind, you put on the likeness, excuse me, you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so there, that I know that was picking up in the middle of a thought, but there Paul is describing the new way a person should be living in Christ versus the old way. He says, you have a former manner of life in verse 22, and that should be dead, and you should be putting that away, and you should rather be, verses 23 and 24, renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that takes place, verse 24, in uh, uh, conforming to the holiness of the truth. Right, you're being renewed to this verse twenty four. This new self, your this new self is being created in the likeness of God, which has been created in the holiness of of the truth, and that's consistent with you know Romans ten seventeen and other passages that teach the same thing. Jesus's words in John seventeen, where he speaks of in in his prayer when he prays that his people would be sanctified in truth, and then he says, "Your word is truth." as he's praying there. And so Jesus knew that only in so far as we were willing to submit ourselves to the word of God, the, the truth of God, we could be set apart as his people. Right? So it's the word that acts as the catalyst, the, the word inspired by God, his truth that is that the Holy Spirit gave to these men to write down. That is the catalyst to this transformation it's the catalyst to our sanctification and being set apart again in so far as and in so long as we are willing to humble ourselves before it hear it internalize it 
and put it into practice. All right, so we have we have this responsibility. It's not a magic trick. It's not a snap of the finger type thing or an overwhelming kind of force. God expects effort on our part if we're going to be transformed by His power. Right, He doesn't operate. Um, he doesn't um, change us regardless of what we believe and regardless of what we do. No, He He wants us to uh, to submit to Him, and only in doing that can we experience that that change. And it's a it's a gradual change. It's a, a day-to-day change. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 16 is another great text to bring into this discussion because there Paul speaks again of this this change that we are talking about that we're focusing on this morning. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 16, he says again, Though therefore we do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And, you know, we look to that text for encouragement, you know, as Paul talks about in the very next verse, the momentary light affliction that we experience in this life is producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And we're walking by faith and not by sight and things like this. But verse 16, the part of that verse that I want to seize upon in this discussion is is being renewed day by day. So it's a, it's a day-by-day change as we search and as we study the teachings of God's Word. And again, we're applying it to our hearts and minds. So, and so doing that, the transformation occurs. And as Paul says in Romans 12, 2, where we began, a man then discovers and proves for himself that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Certainly God's will is good and pleasing and perfect apart from man's understanding of it or even man's knowledge of it. Uh, but if we're going to understand that for ourselves, we have to make the effort, right? And we are, as our lives change, as we humbly submit to the word, we understand more about the character of God and his will for us and that he does want what is best for us as we see his wisdom manifest in our own lives. But we're responsible for changing our lives. I'm responsible for changing my life. You're responsible for changing your life to conform to the word of God, uh, but God receives the glory because it's his, it's his teaching. It's his doctrine. It's his ideals. It's his word that is producing the change. Ultimately, if left to myself, I would, I would botch it and I do botch it and everybody will, right? It's not in, and Jeremiah said a long time ago that it's not in man to direct his own steps in Jeremiah ten twenty three, right? God knows we need direction, we need guidance, and he is the only one qualified to give us that guidance. Um, so Paul begins this section of scripture with therefore. And so he's he's taking us back to all of his points that we've discussed previously on this program and in, in the book of Romans on sin and grace and justification by faith and righteousness. And, you know, in the recent weeks, God's election of the remnant in Christ uh, and and so many other teachings that we can't list here that go up that lead up to this instruction that we're about to consider. And so, uh, first of all, the grace of God should have a humbling effect upon us. In Romans three twenty seven, Paul asked the question, "Where then is boasting? It is excluded." All right. So as we think about <clears throat> the attitude we're going to need, you know that James speaks of. And that is assumed in other scriptures where we're to receive instruction. You know, James says, receive with humility the word implanted in you, 
which is able to save your your souls. And so that attitude of humility is put before us in the New Testament as as critical, as necessary, uh, before I can receive the word as I should. And that's what Paul has reminded us in throughout the book of Romans and like Romans 3.27, for instance, that I just just read. It's, it's excluded. Boasting is excluded because God is behind this plan of redemption. He's the one who executed it. He's the, you know, Jesus Christ is the means, that sacrifice is the means of forgiveness. He He's the one who raised him from the dead so that we could continue to have an intercessor and continue to be forgiven as we walk in the light and, and strive to be pleasing to him, First John 1, verses 6 through 10. So, it's it's all of God's doing, and and Paul reminds brethren of that constantly. First Corinthians four is another example. In verse seven, he says he says to the church there, "What do you have? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it?" So the gift of Christ Himself to be a propitiation for our sins and to bring about every spiritual blessing. Uh, that that comes as a result of fellowship with him, with God through him, that should inspire uh, gratitude in us. It should inspire humility and praise, and, and it will if we're honest with ourselves about what the text is saying. So God's grace teaches us to live for him. And if we do not live for him, then we, not, we do not truly understand the grace of God. And... Titus 2 verses 11 through 14 make that very point. So I'm going to argue to the scriptures for just a moment, but the the point that I just made can be seen in, in Titus 2 beginning in verse 11 where Paul says that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly. And so I'm going to stop for a moment in verse 12 beginning there. He says that the grace of God instructs us. The ESV says it trains us. Uh, the new, uh, excuse me, the, the old King James says it teaches us. And so this is the, this is consistent through, across translations that the grace of God has this uh, peculiar effect, or it should, as we uh, come into contact with it through through the Word, as we come to realize what God has done by his grace in in scripture right in the sending of his son in the giving of his son in raising his son from the dead and and all the promises that the new testament contains we see that and as we learn more about those and our, our understanding deepens we are instructed through that to live a certain way right deny ungodliness worldly desires to live sensibly righteously and godly in the present age with this perspective, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our glory of, and great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Right, So that's the effect that God's grace should have on me. And if, if it doesn't, well, then I, I'm, I'm taking it for granted. I haven't really understood it. I, uh, I, I don't appreciate it for what it is. And we could say, well, nobody really appreciates the grace of God for what it is. But And, and that's true. But am I trying to? Right is is the point, and am I do I have some semblance of an understanding of what he's what he's done, and if I do, that should move me in a direction that the scripture is saying that it should move me in. Uh, and in Colossians chapter one, Paul says to those brethren there, he he's praising them for 
their faith in, in verse 4 and the love that they have for everyone. Uh, and he says that they are behaving in this way, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven that they had previously heard in the word of truth and gospel. And then he says in verse 6, it's come to you, right, the, the gospel, this hope that they have as a result of their faith um, and their service to to others. He says it's come to you, you know, as in all the world also, and is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even it has as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it. And look at this, and understood the grace of God in truth. So yes, I, I, I grant you that there is much to learn about the grace of God, um, and we can hardly get our heads around it completely. I don't think we ever will, but we're to be trying to, right? And Paul says here to these brethren that there was a point in which they understood the grace of God and truth, and that led them to change, right? It led to this uh, service for the saints and the love for, for others and to living for Christ because of, of the hope now that they have laid up for them in heaven. And that's it, it bears fruit, verse 6, in them, he says, right? And so that is over and over again we see passage after passage teaching us about the grace of God and how it should uh, affect us, how how it should transform us and continue to do so, right? And there's no, there's no plateau here, uh, but it's God's doing ultimately. And so Paul says, no man should think more highly of himself than he ought in Romans 12 and verse 3. So we we should be honest with ourselves about our understanding of God's grace and honest with ourselves about our need to continue in that grace and grow in our knowledge of it so that the transforming effect of the word will continue in, in our lives. God is responsible for our faith because it begins with his word. And that's something for which we should be thankful um, and I'm guilty of, of taking it for granted as much as the next person. Um, God has so designed his church that uh, we should complement one another and in, in function. And so Paul goes on to talk about that now in Romans chapter 12 in this context of transformation and renewal. He now draws our attention to um, our relationship with, with one another and our attitudes uh, toward him and toward one another about not thinking highly verse three um, of ourselves, uh, but using sound judgment and verse four, just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually we're members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, and if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, and he who exhorts in his exhortation, and he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, so Paul is saying that all members of the Lord's church um, are have this complementary, or to complement one another in, in function, right? So to be sure, again, you know, we all stumble in many ways. We all have weaknesses. None of us is perfect, James 3 and verse 2. And though we are flawed and though we are imperfect and though our understanding of God's grace um, can can always be deeper, Paul is reminding of, reminding us of how 
competent and useful we can and should be to one another. And, you know, he records specifically some gifts here in the context uh, that we should be exercising. And some of them are miraculous in nature, like prophecy, uh, which has ceased. And that's another that's a study for another time. Uh, the cessation of, of spiritual, miraculous spiritual gifts. But some, but the principles, but the principles set forth still apply, even though no one is given a revelation personally from the Holy Spirit the way that Paul and Peter, the other apostles were, and those upon whom they laid their hands and, and had that gift in the first century. Uh, the principle still applies. We have something to learn from each other. And God has given us each other. We're members of one another, Paul says. And so each of us must strive to be competent and stable in our faith so that we may learn from one another and lean on one another, be reliable, be that functional unit that God has called us to be, where we love and support one another. We're not playing the hypocrite, as Paul says in verse 9. We're not feigning anything. Uh, Let love be without hypocrisy is what the New American Standard says. We're to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. So, you know, love that is feigned or insincere is no love at all, and that's going to cripple us in, in the church. And Paul calls it hypocritical. It's disingenuous. And we have to be careful that we're not simply going through the motions or we're not trying to use those gifts, you know, that Paul has just described in the context of what of giving or showing mercy or our service or our exhortation, you know, if we're a gifted speaker, whatever the case may be, we're, uh, that we're not using those things just a virtue signal and try to make ourselves look good, uh, but whether we are doing them uh, because we are genuinely interested and invested in the, the spiritual well-being of our brethren and our own spiritual being and and the and the glory of God and serving Him on His terms. So do we, you know, do we merely profess to have affection for one another? Or is it clearly seen in the way we treat our brethren? And do our words of endearment ring hollow? Your word to, Paul says we're to love indeed. Excuse me, John says we're to love indeed and not word only. And as Peter says, we must love one another deeply and genuinely from the heart. In First Peter 1 and verse 22. And I think it's easy to do that when nothing happens to be bothering us. But we're people, uh, we're imperfect, we have different personalities, we get cranky, there are things, any number of things that can go wrong during the day that make us grumpy or hurt our feelings, and maybe we're struggling with difficult circumstances. You know, those are the times uh, when loving one another from the heart can can be difficult. Um, you know, the command is not to do these things just when it's convenient or just when circumstances are agreeable. Jesus did not always find himself in agreeable circumstances, yet he loved us to the end. So as we examine ourselves in light of this passage, is that what we're trying to do? Is that, are we genuinely making that effort? And that takes, that takes focus, right? We can easily turn our eyes inwardly and think about all the things going wrong in the day or in our life and you know everybody has those problems but are we in spite of those things still striving to make good use of our gifts and love one another from the heart paul says abhor what is evil and cling to what is good you know live in such a way that doing good is not an irregular thing that it's not an occasional thing but it's it's something that you're 
being intentional about that you're that you're being deliberate about um it's not going to happen by accident abhorring abhorring evil or hating evil is not going to happen by accident and i don't think paul had anything particular in mind but he is saying this more broadly so all kinds of evil and as god's people we should have an aversion to sin and i i wish that i had more of that uh within me uh, more of a sensitivity to sin more be more discerning regarding sin and that's one of the promises of of god is that we will increase in those things um in our discernment and uh our our knowledge of sin and our aversion to it i think are as we draw closer to him and become more like him our hatred for all things evil will grow just as god hates sin it's his word that reveals to us that sin leads to hell and we should hate it for that reason it it leads to everything that's contrary to his nature and you know all the all the vitriol and the poison and the the dysfunctional families and broken relationships and tragedy in in the world it's all the result of sin and so we should hate it we should hate it because it's always harmful and ultimately it leads to death and, and as we again go to the word of god and we see that truth unfold time and time again and we see all the examples of it in in scripture and how it just tears people up and and ruins their relationship with god we will grow i believe in our in our hatred for it and we will grow more sensitive to it and more discerning and 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 have a greater sense of urgency in dealing with it uh, repenting of it and teaching others about it The next thing Paul focuses on is in verse 11, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and do not be slothful in zeal. Uh, I like this quote from Thomas Jefferson. He said, determine never to be idle and no person will have occasion to complain of the want of time who never loses any. And that's very close to another verse, uh, another text in scripture where Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, make the most of your time because the days are, are evil. And I hear some of that in verse 11 when Paul speaks of don't be slothful in, in zeal or don't be sluggish or lazy in this particular regard of, of loving one another. You know, there's, there's so much to be done any given day of the week. We have our own schedules, but we're reminded in Scripture in Philippians 2 and verse 3 that we're not to merely look out for our own interest, but for the but the interest of others. And that is one of the distinctive marks of God's people, at least it should be, is that we have this this care for one another. Um, and we should be zealous in doing that. And it doesn't mean that I'm that I have to wait until I feel like writing a card or I feel like picking up the phone. I, again, it's it's an intentional, deliberate kind of thing. It has to be a decision that we make. It's not going to happen by accident, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, any more than hating evil is going to happen by accident. And so we can find ourselves uh, lukewarm. We can find ourselves slothful in zeal uh, simply because we lack the discipline to um, be energized by the word of God and be renewed by by the word of God. And so we find ourselves doing everything half-heartedly. Uh, you notice that being fervent in spirit is directly connected with service. Being fervent in spirit is directly connected with service in verse 11. 
So we've been given plenty of things to do, again, to fill our time. And Paul named so many things, right? If we just think, so if we think that we can just coast into heaven, we're fooling ourselves. There is always a need to study. There's always something for which we could pray. There's always an opportunity uh, to serve somebody else. There are many things that we must strive to attain in supplementing our faith, as Peter describes in Second Peter 1. 5 through 8, as he talks about uh, growing in virtue and knowledge and moral excellence and um, brotherly love is another thing that he names there. So being fervent, being fervent, again, is it's, it's not a feeling. It's an attitude. It's an attitude we choose to have. Uh, we choose to be diligent. And the, uh, the nearer we draw to Christ, the more clearly we see him and the more clearly we see our own unworthiness, I believe the stronger our zeal and fervor will be will be more likely to take the initiative in, in doing something when we're in, in a position to help a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe that no one else is. For whatever reason, um, we can take the initiative. Uh, we'll take the initiative when we notice something needs to be done. Maybe that nobody else seems to notice, and we're perfectly capable of taking care of ourselves. But rather than complain that nobody cares, we will take the initiative ourselves. You know, we may be tempted to be delegators when what we really need to do is is step up ourselves and again the nearer we draw to christ through his word and as we're transformed by his word we will exercise diligence in all, in all that we do right it, it just follows as night follows the day but it begins with that sincere desire and that humble attitude uh and, and the discipline enough to daily go to the word right as paul said be renewed in the spirit of your mind day by day Though our outward man is decaying, though everything in this world is winding down and it's been subjected to futility, we can be renewed in, in our spirits. Right? So let's think on think on these words today. I hope this has been a beneficial study for you. It certainly has been for me. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 12, Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship your spiritual service of worship. So are we resolved to serve and worship the God of heaven and devote our entire being to doing so? Are we resolved to search and study his word, knowing that it is the catalyst to change and transformation that he seeks in us? Are we yielding to it and being transformed through the renewing of our minds? Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jason Garcia. And this has been Faithful Sayings.